0: Low burn media an evergreen podcast presents who killed a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless
1: franklin stood motionless as he heard the court clerk read guilty
0: to both counts of civil rights violations the all-white 10-woman two-man jury returned the verdict after 13 and a half hours of deliberation The 30-year-old Mobile, Alabama native was characterized by the prosecution as a pathological loner and a man so consumed with hatred for blacks that killing them was too good for them. Franklin throughout the proceedings maintained his innocence, although he did say the blacks did deserve to die for race mixing. Franklin was arrested October 28th in Lakeland, Florida, following a two-month
1: nationwide
0: manhunt after an earlier escape from a Florence, Kentucky, police station. He has wanted for questioning in several other states involving similar sniping incidents, including the attempted
1: murder of National Urban League President Vernon Jordan last May. Good evening, everyone, the families of 13-year-old Dante Evans and 14-year-old Daryl Lane went to bed last night, believing Joseph Paul Franklin's execution had been stopped. But when they woke up, HE WAS DEAD. OVERNIGHT, THE U.S. SUPREME COURT OVERTURNED A FEDERAL JUDGES' RULING. THE EXECUTION WAS FOR THE 1977 MURDER OF A MAN AT A SYNAGOGUE OUTSIDE ST. LOUIS. ONE OF 22 MURDERS HE ADMITTED TO IN A CROSS-COUNTRY SPREE. HE WAS TRYING TO START A RACE WAR. LOCAL 12'S DEBORAH DIXON TALKED WITH THE EVANS FAMILY AFTER HIS EARLY-MORNING EXECUTION. This morning, the brother of Dante Evans wept at the Redding Road site where his brother and cousin were killed by sniper fire 33 years ago. Joseph Paul Franklin shot from the trestle. The sun is out and it just feels good, Deb. You know, I, I can't explain it right now. I can't, I can't explain it. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm real happy. Lavon used to sit on the trestle and imagine his brother's fear as shots rang out. The boys were walking to a convenience store to buy potato chips. The trestle was always a dark place for Lavon, not today. To him, Franklin's execution is justice for the boys too. Justice does matter, I mean, even though we went through it for 33 years.
0: When you have a case where, where your children are murdered because of the color of their skin, that's a, that's a different kind of animal you're dealing with there. And um, he was an animal.
1: Franklin killed the boys while waiting for an interracial couple to leave a nearby motel.
0: And he f- waited for hours. And finally these two black kids walked by. And um, it's, it's, it still gets to me today.
1: Franklin admitted to the murders and was convicted here in 1998, even though he was on death row in Missouri. The state said he'd be executed any day, so Dieters asked the boys' mothers what they wanted to do. They didn't hesitate for a second. They wanted him back here. They wanted a trial. They wanted closure. They wanted to see the person who killed their little boys. Closure. That's the word Dante's mother used this morning when I told her about the execution. She did not want to go on camera, but did share her thoughts. Disclosure. You know, he took two innocent lives for what? For hate. Yes, for hate. It's over. It's justice for uh, Dante and Daryl.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast production. On this week's episode, we are going to take a look back at a very scary case that occurred in the late 70s and early 1980s. And that would be the case of one Joseph Paul Franklin. Now, Franklin is probably one of the worst serial offenders in the history of criminal offenses because let's just be honest he was a racist he was a sniper and he did not like to actually get up close and personal with his victims and he would well basically hide in a field and commit these awful horrible uh racially motivated crimes and he did things that you would never imagine any human being being capable of doing. Now, he is known to have killed 18 people, and that is a very large number when it comes to the, I guess, the amount of people that he affected and impacted. I mean, that's a very large and very expansive group of people who were impacted by this individual's beliefs, that's air quotes, uh, about race and whether or not white and black people should be together or there should be mixed couples, this guy was literally a piece of trash. And it is one of those cases where you kind of wonder... Uh, did he get the justice he deserved? I mean, he was executed, so I would say yes, he did. But with the book that I'm reading, I'm reading the book by John Douglas, and it is titled The Killer's Shadow, The FBI's Hunt for a White Supremacist Serial Killer, and that's, again, by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker. And actually, I'm listening to it because I'm audiobook nut at the moment, and it's narrated by the guy who played uh, the Robert Wrestler character in Mindhunter on Netflix. So anybody who's been missing Mindhunter, and since it's not coming back, unfortunately, to the screen anytime soon, if ever, uh, thanks a lot Fincher for promising five years and delivering on two, and leaving a whole lot of unanswered questions. I know you're an auteur and I respect your decision making, but that one kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Especially since I love all of your movies, which I'm sure most of the audience does as well, such as Seven, Zodiac, uh, Fight Club, just to name a few. But Mindhunter was really, really good and it did show the beginning of the criminal behavioral science unit in Quantico, and it's really an interesting perspective, especially from Douglas, who is the founder of that department within the FBI. And to hear him talk about this case and how he was brought in by a fellow agent again, they hadn't really been a full unit by the time that this case kind of hit his desk to use a cliche. Uh, but it was one of those cases where they felt like we have somebody that we the killer. Can you backtrack and dissect him opposed to building a profile? It, it, it was a very interesting thing in, in a lot of certain ways, but he did build a profile for this one individual and it was amazing how much He was able to nail Now there's a lot of interesting stuff That goes on with criminal profiling But this case again Is mostly about the fact That this guy was just a racist And he literally Caused havoc from I don't know Pretty much the time he was born To the time he died But the case is really I mean the crimes uh, I mean this is from murderpedia.com Or .org I should say and they started in 1977, and this was when he took a truckload of dynamite and detonated it outside the home of a Jewish pro-Israel lo- lobbyist, and that was one Morris Amite and his family. Now, the home was damaged, but nobody was killed, so he decided to bomb another uh Jewish-related facility, and that was the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Chattanooga. Now, he firebombed this place, and he actually did confess to the crime. Then on October eighth, 1977, this is all in the same year, mind you, Franklin hid in a long grass behind a telegraph pole at the Beth Shalom Synagogue. Now, this is where he fired into a group of worshipers, and using a hunting rifle, was able to kill Gerald Gordon and he injured two others. And he did confess to this murder in nineteen ninety five. <sighs> yeah. So this is one of those people that is uh he was holding a lot of stuff in while he was incarcerated. And then back, let's go to nineteen seventy eight. Murderpedia writes Franklin claimed that on March 6, seventy eight, he used a forty four caliber rifle to ambush Hustler publisher, Larry Flint, and his lawyer, Gene Reeves, in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Now, in his confession, this is apparently was in retaliation, because, again, Franklin is a very, very big racist, and he did not like the interracial mixing within Flint's pornographic magazines. So, not that cool. And then... In July of 1978, Franklin hid near a Pizza Hut and shot and killed Bryant Tatum. That was with a 12 gauge shotgun. Now, he did shoot Tatum's girlfriend as well, but she survived. He did plead guilty and was given a life sentence. Now, again, let's move to 1979, the year of a great year. Let's just say that. <laughs> July 12th, 1979, Taco Bell manager Harold McIver. A black man, of course, because this guy is a racist, was fatally shot through a window from 150 yards. Now, this was in Doraville, Georgia. This, again, is just one crazy psychopath. Moving through our country in the South, taking shots at uh, African Americans, and pretty much leaving death and uh, destruction in his wake so let's move to may ninth, 1980 where franklin said that he shot and seriously wounded the urban league president vernon jordan now this was apparently after seeing him with a white woman and he was acquitted within this case but apparently he confessed at a later date but knowing his record it falls into line so who knows june eighth nineteen eighty Franklin did confess to killing cousins now this is this case that I'm going to focus on today, and that is the one of Dante Evans Brown and this uh Dante Evans Brown and Daryl Lane. Now this was in Cincinnati now he was apparently on an overpass and he wanted to shoot a race- racially mixed couple but Being a racist, he decided that these boys would do, and that is just disgusting to think, and it is awful. And so uh, we basically have these two boys in Cincinnati, and then we have a couple more cases where uh, he did shoot and kill two black men in Salt Lake City in August of 1980, and then in... June of 1980, he also shot and killed two hitchhikers, Nancy Santomero Santo and Vicky Duran in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. Now, he said that he committed these crimes because uh, he felt like... That, again, it was race-related, so we're not going to dive into this guy's psyche because... Who the hell wants to spend any time there? We're just talking about the cases that he was involved with. And Franklin did try to escape, uh, you know, all the stuff in, uh, in a lot of different ways. He, you know, obviously put up a lot of appeals and all that good stuff. But he was finally, uh, you know convicted, and sentenced to death. Now, Franklin was born at James Clayton Vaughn in Mobile, Alabama. He did have uh, a rough childhood, and that is typical in a lot of these cases where you get sort of a nomad and somebody with a lot of rage that is now going to take things into their own hands. And in all reality, That's pretty much what he did And if you look at the crimes That we just talked about From blowing up a home To blowing up a synagogue To just straight up Murdering people It is An escalation of His beliefs Now he did get involved With Evangelical Christianity Then Nazism He did Also uh, joined the People's Party, which is basically the Nazi party. And the Ku Ku Klux Klan, Hmm, the KKK, pretty good stuff. And so in the 1960s, this is according to Murderpedia, Franklin was inspired to try to start a race war after reading Adolf Hitler's political manifesto Mein Kampf. Quote, I've never felt that way about any other book that I've read. He would reflect later. It was something weird about that book, unquote. Now, okay, enough about Hitler. Don't want to talk about him. Don't really want to talk about much about this guy other than the fact that he was a former Klansman. He had a lot of beliefs that did not align with the uh, beliefs of the country. And he certainly... Um, went out of his way to profess his hate and push that on to pretty much everybody. So, you know, he had three years, 1977 to 1980, where he committed these crimes. So you have a guy that was born in 1950, So age 27, he decides that he's going to go on his murder spree. Well, it makes you wonder what kind of childhood he would have had or what kind of life he led up until that age 27. Because we know that a lot of these serial killers show things before in their personalities than the age of 27 i mean it's just part of the way it goes so so typically there would be some stuff in his childhood that would stand out or something that happened early in his 20s that would have caused him to start acting so abruptly and one of those things was uh, an injury that happened with a two-edged sword and this did take away some of his eyesight so He kind of became a different person. He got married at the time, ended up beating his wife. He just started following crazy things like the Nazi party. He did not like the fact that his all-white neighborhood was being integrated. He became a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And again, this is also when he changed his name. He shed the last name and any links with his normal life. federal prosecutors allege that jurors have agreed that he spent most of nineteen seventy-seven, nineteen eighty, 1980 wandering the South and Midwest, enjoying 18 pseudonyms, changing cars and weapons, frequently dyeing his hair so often that it came to close to falling out. Along the way, he killed some 13 people in a frenzied one-man war against minorities. Now, that again is that... It's taken directly from an article off of Murderpedia. And that is very clear there that he was climbing the ladder towards more serious crimes. And it was, like I mentioned before, and this is according to the FBI, where Franklin launched his campaign in the summer of 1977. And that started with the bombings. And then, you know, nine days after that, he shot and killed. Uh, Manning and Schwinn and they were an interracial couple and that was in Madison, Wisconsin. Then on October 8th Gerald Gordon was killed by sniper fire and he was leaving a bar mitzvah in the St. Louis area. So again that's just one of these crazy individuals. Now his arrest which luckily let's just put it this way uh, June 8th let's back up a few months on June 8th he surfaced in Cincinnati where he unfortunately that's where he killed Daryl Lane and Dante Brown and this was from a homemade snipers perch that he had created and these kids were innocent I mean they were just literally walking to buy candy from the store and this individual decided it was up to him to end their lives 13 and 14 year olds not the way to play god nobody should be doing that and this individual is another individual that just deserves to be exactly where he is and that is probably not any place any you want to be so his arrest finally came in kentucky on september 25th 1980 now he you know they had a lot on him so in 1982 he was acquitted of the federal civil rights charges in the may 1980 shooting uh but he was still convicted of uh the bombing in chattanooga he was convicted for the double murder in wisconsin and prosecutors in that case and this is again from michael newton which was an encyclopedia of modern serial killers states that the prosecutor said that this was the closest thing to killing for sport And that was the murder of um, in Wisconsin, which is just sad and terrible. So it was not until 1970, no, 1980, gosh, let me look at this. This was 1999 that they had two more convictions added to his case. Now, even though they thought he might have killed... Dante and um Daryl that he would have been convicted of this, but he didn't actually get convicted until october twenty second nineteen ninety nine and that added two more life sentences to his already pending execution and again, this is also one of those weird situations where the prosecution has to consider where they want to have these cases um i mean the trial obviously uh is going to lead to this this individual's execution i mean it's it's pretty terrible i mean the total numbers of murders that he has been charged with were 20 uh he's wounded seriously six people he did commit bank robberies too to support his uh racist attacks and that was 16 and this is just another individual that unfortunately people probably emulate today you look at the synagogue shooter in pittsburgh you look at dylan roof in uh north or south carolina i can't remember the one but he doesn't deserve my time to think any harder about it but when you have an individual that has these racial beliefs that go beyond any common sense or any thing beyond what's acceptable in society. I think these people are, they feel like they're getting blocked out. I mean, just look at what's going on with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. I mean, these are individuals who think the white race is being slowly diluted and it's disgusting behavior and it's an embarrassment to think that these people walk and breathe the same air that we do and they might say the same thing about their beliefs but I'm sorry I will go all day with you on this one and say that uh, you're in the wrong because if you're walking around like Kanye with a stupid freaking Anti Semitic bullshit and wearing German Reich arms on your t shirts while you go shopping and just making a complete ass of yourself. Trying to wrap that shit up, bro. I'm sick of it. Like, it's over. Anti Semitism, get over yourself. It's a joke. You guys have been fucking with this for too long and. I'm sorry, but you got to stop blaming everybody for all your issues. And that goes for anybody who's racist and wants to blame the person that's a different ethnicity or a different colored skin for their troubles in their life. Well No, probably go look in the mirror because you're the one that's the problem. And if you're thinking that you're going to go lay in a field and just shoot some poor, innocent black people because they're walking with some white women, well, maybe it's time to go check yourself. And hey, Kanye... Next time you open your fucking mouth, why don't you stop with the bullshit? Because nobody cares. You just make yourself look like an ass and everybody's allowed to think, "Oh, wow, this guy really has lost his mind." And this isn't a mental health thing because you know me, I'm a huge supporter of mental mental health. But when you go around and people go, "Oh, it's cuz he's mentally ill." It's because of this. It's because of that. Well, guess what? Then you kind of justify it. When you justify things, that's when you get people like Joseph Paul Franklin. And that's the scariest part of this whole thing. And the scariest part of the Douglas book is that this guy is influential. People look at this kind of stuff. Look at the crazy crap coming out of Romania with that guy Andrew Tate. Who the fuck watches that stuff? I don't. I don't know who does. But... Apparently, a lot of people do. And it's not good for society. It's not good for your psyche. It's not good for women. It's not good for anybody. So the old saying goes like this. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that goes for all you racists, all you anti-Semites, and anybody else who wants to just give somebody grief for the way that they have chosen to live their life. Because you know what? You don't mean anything. You're worthless. If that's your belief, then guess who's the dumbass in the room? It's you. You know that. I mean, if you can't pick out the asshole at the table, it's because you're the asshole. So, I'm sorry that I'm standing on my soapbox and I'm getting on a diatribe at the end of reading about this racist who just went around and just killed... 18 black people, for the fuck of it, heck of it, whatever, pardon my French, but I don't care. It's one of those things where people need to understand that if you have access to guns, you spew hate, and you make it mainstream, this is what you're going to end up with. And this is what I fear is going to happen with what kind of crap is coming out of some of these people's mouths. Because what they're doing is they're normalizing this stuff. And if you have the leader of our country saying that there are fine people on one side or on both sides, when it's clear as day that there is no one side or the other, it's either the good side or the bad side, and he just decides, well, there's good people on both sides. No, that's not how this works. We don't live in 1948, 1952, We've made advancements in our lives. And this is one of those things that needs to be addressed. And I am sorry that this has become such an issue. But boy, it's an issue. And when you have the former president of the United States walking around having dinner with anti-Semites, Kanye West, who we know is just a completely misguided individual with nutso beliefs and again not anything against his mental illness because mental illness does not cause you to be a racist asshole. Mental illness is mental illness. And it's a lot more subtle than that. And to blame people for uh, you know, mass shootings because they're mentally ill, let's just stop that too, because you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about. If they're mentally ill or not, it is what it is. So just don't say anything. Report the facts. Don't editorialize. Quit saying shit about our borders and our this or that and the other. And maybe people's hatred around this country will end and we might actually be able to move on and get something done in this country that we have not been able to get done in the last, I don't know, decade or so since some individual decided to become insanely racist and start the birther movement. Let's just think about that for a second. Thanks to that guy, we live in this world. And with his old old saying, I'm not even going to say it because it's a joke and it's a racist saying, too, by the way, is you sure didn't, (laughs) you sure didn't, and uh, I'm sorry that that is not necessarily going to fly with everybody, but if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, well, it's a duck, and if you can't make it past your first term, that means you suck, so that's all I'm going to say about that, but I think you guys, if you're listening, already know that. About me. So I'm not really sharing anything that I haven't said before, but I am going to stand up here and I am going to say that we do need to focus back on issues such as the coverage of minorities when there are homicides. The Idaho Four was a good example of beautiful, blonde, blue eyed college kids getting the headlines, whereas we have other people of minorities being killed in other cities that don't get the coverage. Am I to blame for some of that? Sure. But I think there is some relation there too. And I know that I saw that on social, people wanting to say it's a blonde girl thing with the media. Yeah, we do have an issue with that. There is no denying it. And I do believe it is a big factor, but it's also the factor about, and I think I mentioned it with Nick last week, is that We've lived that life. I've lived that life. I know what it was like to be in a college house. I know what it was like to be stupid and leave the door unlocked and not know what and who was in your home. I just That's just part of being a college student. I don't feel like they deserve any blame for the partying, for the lives they lived, whatever. But I do believe that the media can always do a better job as far as covering the crimes that we don't cover enough. I say it in the opening of every show, trying to provide a voice for the voiceless. Cliché. Yeah, totally. I get it. But you know what? So is the cliché of not covering the murders of African Americans, unless it becomes like a serial thing, which happened with the Atlanta child murders. That got more attention, but it also was the fact that it took probably 10 people to be murdered before it was picked up nationally, even though it was a case that should have been on the front page of every paper in the U.S. Because who's going around murdering your children should be pretty important. If it was happening in the suburbs with a bunch of white kids, you sure as bet that would be the front page and the headline on every news station and every Every national newscast you would it would be ridiculous i mean we've we know it, so I'm not saying we're all to blame, but we all could do a better job and I did say that I wanted to talk about you know Dante and Daryl, and their case it's not that I have a lot to add because I don't, and I don't know their families, and I don't know exactly what happened to them, but I will say that. For the families, they didn't get a convic- convi- uh, conviction until 20 years after the fact, and they didn't get a confession until 17 years. So you might think that like Franklin confessed to these things right away. He was thought to have killed these people, but he denied it, and then he finally confessed, and it is one of those things where— He, uh, you know, he definitely, he got what he deserved. I mean, he was executed in, uh, you know, it was weird. The way that they state it, it says, uh, Franklin's execution was complicated as it took place during a period when various European drug manufacturers refused or objected on moral grounds to having their drugs used in lethal injection. In response, Missouri announced that it would use for Franklin's execution a new method of lethal injection, which used a single drug provided by an unnamed compounding pharmacy. A day before his execution, U.S. District Judge Nanette Lorty, Jefferson City, granted a stay of execution over concerns about the drug and the method of execution. Um, Now, his appeals in court quickly were overturned. Both stays were overturned, and the Supreme Court finally rejected his appeals. And so it was on November 20th, 2013, 2013, this guy lived for so much longer than he deserved to live, uh, was finally, finally executed at 617 Central Standard Time. And it was the first lethal injection in Missouri that used Uh, I can't even pronounce it, but pentobarbital alone instead of the conventional three-drug cocktail. So, the racist views that he had, he renounced them and did so in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Now, Yeah, better late than never, buddy. But, I mean, don't even bother because it's ridiculous. So, this was one of those guys that got everything that he had coming to him. And it is one of those people that will drive you nuts because of the fact that he got away with his crimes, was able to travel the country. Now, luckily, he did get arrested pretty quickly. He wasn't one of those people like BTK that has you know, that lived on for years or the Golden State Killer that got to live free for years. I mean, he basically was in jail from 82 on. So it's a bummer. It took another 31 years to murder him. Well, state-sanctioned murder, sorry. Um, But not everybody, you know, (laughs) not everybody should get the same sort of treatment about the death penalty. This guy deserved to die. And to call it state-sanctioned murder may be a stretch, but I know that some people like to use that phrase, but it is certainly a slippery slope, and yes, it can be very sketchy when you don't have all the facts. This guy pretty much was dead to rights. I mean, he had, you know, they had the rifle, they had all these sightings, they had physical descriptions. It's just, his case, he was done. He was done. No chance, not getting out, nothing. That's all I've got today on Joseph Paul Franklin, one of America's biggest pieces of crap. And I feel very sorry for the families who were impacted by this horrible individual so on this day friday january 27th 2023 let's all take a moment to appreciate the fact that this man is now dead that may have been a bit morbid but it is what it is thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode I know I went on a little bit of a diatribe there. It's like the way I like to do it sometimes. And when I get fired up after reading some crap, I will eventually go off on a tangent. And when you're busy with other stuff, well, sometimes uh, episodes like this happen. So you just got to go with it. And I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Who Killed? And as you know, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. You also can support the podcast with my username at bill-huffman-3. That's on Venmo. And if you are so inclined, you could also leave a review on wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So on that note, I will let you guys get back to your lives. And uh, as always, stay healthy and uh, be safe. The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and
1: essential world news daily. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes By Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahita's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.